so we are, we are in our series on 1 John, and it's called Beloved because, as you know, that's how John referred to himself. And the other, the other disciples were like, you're so annoying. Gosh. But there's something to be said for what uh, John has been sharing with us so far in, uh, in this letter. He was writing to really to bring people back to some of the basics of the faith, some of those things that you can really build upon and make sure that you're, you're building a solid uh, foundation. Has anybody ever seen the movie The Money Pit? Yes. All right, money pitters, yes. Um, if you've never seen the movie The Money Pit, you may have lived out the movie The Money Pit if you've bought a house and then realized it looked really good on the exterior and then you started living there and you found out that cracks were appearing in the walls and things were shifting. Maybe the cabinet that you had that you thought was square all of a sudden doesn't look like it's square. Jennifer and I had a house, our house in Plum Creek in Kyle. Uh, we, we were so excited because you know, it, was, it, was, it was a new build. This was, what year was this? 2000. 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember our final walkthrough, walking upstairs into uh, our daughter, what was going to be our daughter's bedroom, and I walked into the bedroom door, and I thought, this is really beautiful. The window's right there. It's so much light coming in. The closet's over there, and I turned around to exit through the door, and it looked like it was a Dr. Seuss build. It was like the, I entered the door, and from the other side, it looked like it was like rectangular, like it was square. And from the inside, it was more trapezoidal and like not quite like, and you can see it was right next to the ceiling line and there's, there's these, these lines that are not as parallel as I would like them in a house, right? And so in, in this movie, The Money Pit, what you've got is you've got a couple who is gonna buy this house because on the exterior, it looks beautiful, looks wonderful, looks gorgeous. And as you know, nothing breaks until you buy it. And so they make the purchase of the house and then they spend the rest of the film with everything just crumbling. Because what looked really good on the outside structurally had no integrity. And it was broken. And it was broken deep inside where you couldn't see it from the outside. And as, I'm, as we're going through First John, it's, it's reminding me of that that principle, that experience, that, that film, uh, because what John is trying to warn these believers against is teaching about Jesus that is, at first glance, pretty okay, seems right, seems legit, right? Uh, but then when you really start diving into it and you start comparing it to what Jesus actually said and the life he actually lived, and what the rest of Scripture declares about him, then you start to notice there's, oh, there's little cracks in that foundation. And as we know, like in a, in a building project, if your foundation isn't solid, then the rest of the building is suspect and could come crumbling down at any point. Who in this place is a contractor? Anybody a contractor in here? I know there's a couple. It's okay. You can raise your hands. We'll still love you. Yeah, yeah. There are two types of people, contractors and people who will need them eventually, right? So it's fine. Uh, and, and we bless all of our people who are contractors and who build beautiful things for us. Um, but, to, but if you build something in the natural on a foundation that's even got a little bit of a crack in it, even something that's like one degree off, the more you build on that, the more likely it is that it's all going to come falling down. 
And our spiritual lives are the same way. We, build, we want to build on a, on a firm foundation, a strong foundation that is, that is biblical, scriptural truth, that is the person of Jesus moving in our lives. Not who someone else says he is, but who he says he is. And if we build on that, then everything else that gets built on top of that will stand. If we build on something else, then eventually something's going to happen and we're going to see evidence of the chinks in that foundation, the slight cracks that with more and more and more pressure become greater and greater and greater. And that's what 1 John is all about. So um, when we're building a life in the spirit, the details matter. And we want to build it in a way that's going to withstand stresses, that's going to withstand storms. We want to build our spiritual lives in, in a way that's going to stand the test of time and it's going to provide the things that a home provides. We want our spiritual walk to provide shelter, to provide safety, to provide comfort, and also to provide a dwelling place for other people. That's what our spiritual lives are being built for. And so we need to make sure that they're built on something that's going to stand, that's going to be around even if, uh, even if situations come up that want to be enthroned, you know, we need to make sure that the right things are being enthroned. So we're going to start in 1 John 4. We're in chapter 4 this week. Uh, we're going to go verses 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. Remember in chapter 1, he was, he was actually talking specifically in this, for this Ephesian church about people who were saying that Jesus could not be Spirit, uh, could not be God and man because everything that's of the flesh is evil. So Jesus could not be a man because that would make him evil. And that's not what Jesus taught about himself. So Paul is specifically, or not Paul, uh, John is specifically warning about this. So this is how we know that they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the antichrist which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already there. We're going to talk about the Antichrist in just a second. But what uh, John is hoping to encourage people to do is to put things to the test. In our spiritual lives, and depending on where, where we are in our walk with Jesus, sometimes something happens to us, a spiritual experience that's dramatic, that's notable, that is, it seems just so unexpected, out of the ordinary, like it seems like it's miraculous. And, and that can be so exciting that we forget to do what John is saying here. We forget to test it. Because there are all sorts of spiritual experiences that we can have that are not from God. They're not from God. No matter how dramatic they are, no matter how impactful they seem to be, and no matter who they come through. Right? Sometimes you, somebody may give you a word and they say it's from God. They may, they may say, hey, God was, I was, had a dream about you. God said this. Be really judicious when someone tells you God said this. They may very well believe that it was God speaking to them, but it's your responsibility to really vet that out. 
to verify that. So even if someone has been walking with the Lord for years longer than you, even if the Lord, you've seen the Lord move powerfully through that person, if they're speaking to you and saying, God said this, John is still saying, test it. Love them, but test that word. Test it. Scripture encourages us to take responsibility to verify all these spiritual matters, to verify spiritual messages, even to verify spiritual people. Right? We're going to take a look at two scriptures right now. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Uh, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. You receive a prophetic word. You receive a word coming from the Spirit of God through a person. John's not saying, throw them all out. He's also not saying, receive them all unconditionally. He's saying, entertain them. Accept that this is a word that has been presented to you and then test it and see if it is good. See if that's from God. We're going to talk about how in just a moment. 1 Timothy 3.10, this is about spiritual people. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. So whether it's a spiritual message, a spiritual experience, or a spiritual person, John is reminding us that the Lord says, test it all. And it's not mean to do that. It's not, uh, it's, it's not unreasonable to do that because when the stakes are really high, like following Jesus is important. Mm-hmm. Following Jesus is the most important thing that we do. So we don't want to do it unintentionally. Right. We don't want to do it accidentally. We don't want to do it just based on, well, that seems good. This is important. Just like building a home. All those details that go into it are important if you want the home to stay strong. And our spiritual lives are the same way. We need to follow wisely. We need to follow with intention so that we don't allow ourselves to be led astray. And that's where John mentioned uh, in verse 6, I think, and he mentions it in chapter 2, but he brings it up again, that spirit of the Antichrist. And when I say Antichrist, I grew up feeling like, oh, I don't even know if I can say that word out loud. That's... That's scary. That's like, you know, that's like a scary movie kind of word, you know, where you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm looking like some horned red figure who's going, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it, sure, I guess it could be that, but that's not what John's talking about, right? Just as a reminder, Antichrist, we think of it as being like a person who's going to come Uh, in the last days to rise up and gather people against God, right? Which there is that. But even that person is actually an instrument of an antichrist spirit. And antichrist literally means instead of God, instead of Christ. Now, John says there's an antichrist spirit. You've heard about it. He's coming, but also it's in the world right now. Can't you see it in the world right now? So many things offered to us that look a little bit like Jesus said, but there's something that's not exactly what Jesus said. That's Antichrist spirit. It's not saying, (laughs) deny Jesus. I mean, because who who would do that? Who would do you're never gonna get by in that way? It's much easier for the enemy to say, you know what, this is a lot like Jesus. So there's something a little bit different. It's okay to accept this because most of it seems like Jesus. That's Antichrist spirit. It's instead of Jesus. And and I think 
the Antichrist spirit is just, it leads to division because it's so insidious. It just sneaks in. And you think, oh, most of that sounds good, so I won't test it. I'll just go along with what most of it seems okay. And then you get further down the road and you realize, oh, that wasn't all good. And now it's created division between me and people who, you know, who are following Jesus more closely. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to embrace and follow an alternative Jesus. But the only way, Jesus said this himself, the only way to have a relationship with God, the only way to have that relationship that was broken in the garden to be completely restored is through Jesus as he presented himself. And that's why this, this matters, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Not an idea of Jesus that someone presents to you that has a little bit off, but Jesus, as he presented himself. That's the way to the Father. That's the way to, he's the way to repairing the brokenness in our lives, to repairing the relationship with God that we so desperately want to have, but, but that it has been torn and broken and can only be repaired completely through Jesus. The enemy wants us to follow an alternative to Jesus. But when you follow an alternative to Jesus, you end up at an alternative to God. Right? right? right. And that's not where he wants us to end up. God wants us to end up with him. And we can't get to him without following Jesus. So, uh, I love this Charles Spurgeon quote. The process of trying to tell the difference between the truth and the instead of is called discernment. And Charles Spurgeon said it this way, discernment isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. It is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Wrong is easy to spot. Wrong does not take a, a doctoral degree in theology. Wrong just is wrong. But right and almost right that takes discernment. And oftentimes it takes the Holy Spirit discerning through, you know, to, to discern things for you and to reveal things to you, right? Uh, so how do we tell the difference between right and almost right? How do we tell the difference between right and everything else? We increase our ability to discern the ability of the Holy Spirit to work through us to discern things when we get back to the basics. When we strip everything down to the foundation. Denominationalism is us deciding who God, who we think God is, and then making a little camp around that. Right. That's why we have so many denominations, because we refuse to get back to the basics. But that's exactly what John is, is asking us to do, to tear everything down in our spiritual lives, tear it down to the foundations so that we can see clearly. Once all the drywall's up, once all the trim is up, once the roof is on, you can't see what's under there. But if you tear the house down to the foundation, you can see where the cracks are. And that's what he's asking us to do. There's reasons for getting back to the basics. Life is complicated. If it, I always go back to this. Anybody who tells you differently is selling something, right? Life is complicated. Things are messed up. Living in a world with a bunch of other people who have their own autonomy and their own ideas and their own passions, and their own it's complicated. And there's temptation all over to, 
slide on certain things to get along or to, to, to compromise on certain things just because it helps us all kind of move forward. There are certain things that we can compromise on, but there are certain things that, that John says, no, don't ever compromise on that, right? So life is complicated. There are natural challenges. There's spiritual challenges. Living, living with other people, there's so many diverging viewpoints. And, and Scripture actually tells us that our minds and our hearts are complicated. Why do we get back to the basics? Why is John telling us that? Because we don't know what we think. And half the time, we don't know what we feel and what we want. We don't know what's best for us. Uh, Romans 8, 7 says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Our own minds are trying to figure out what we can do that doesn't involve God. All the time. All the time. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is unsearchable. Who can know it? God can know it, but we can't. Left to our own devices, we wander. We follow kind of our own desires. We follow our momentary thoughts. And the, the fact is we don't know where we're going half the time. Hopefully that's not just me, right? You haven't just lost confidence in the pastoral leadership here. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know where we're going. And you're like, I, don't, I know where I'm going. I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. But half the time, our own hearts follow, we're, our, our hearts are like Labrador retrievers, right? It's like, yeah, I think I know where I'm going. Oh, squirrel. And then you just go and move. And, and, and one moment to the next, it's like, I don't know what I want. How are we supposed to know how to follow Jesus if we don't even know what we want half the time? And this is where John is asking us to get back to the basics. Jeremiah 6, 16 and 17 says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk it. And when you do, you will find rest for your souls. And so this whole, this whole letter, John has been using repetition to drive some points home. And here, we're going to read through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to talk about three foundational principles that he's repeating in chapter four. When John says, get back to the basics, so you don't fall into deception, so you don't follow the alternative Jesus to an alternative God, so you don't follow the almost, so you can discern between right and almost right, he says, here's three things to ground yourself on, okay? First is your identity. We're reading chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Get a hold of that. That's your identity. In Christ, that's who you are. You are a child of God, and the spirit that he puts in you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. So when the spirit of the world tries to tell you or sell you or convince you or scare you into something, what he has placed in you is more than enough to get you through. All right? The pe those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us as we speak God's word. If they don't belong to God, they don't listen to us. So don't be offended, by the way. If you're, if you're speaking to people who don't have a grid for God and they don't get you, it's not about you. You're being faithful and loving, hopefully. You're being faithful and kind and loving. Uh, and, and if they don't have a grid for what you're sharing, it's not because you're doing it wrong. 
It's because they don't have a grid for what you're sharing. They can't conceive it. The human heart is unsearchable. The human mind is an enmity against God. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So what this means is you are in Christ an adopted son or daughter of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you and is transforming you from the inside out, making you different and new. You have a repaired relationship with God that enables you to speak and communicate freely with him. That's what this is all about. Jesus came because God missed us. God wanted relationship with us that he didn't have because of our own stuff. And so Jesus came and said, I will sacrifice myself. I will pay the price for all of that sin and I will reunite all your people with you, Father. And when we receive that, we accept that, then a relationship is repaired and we can have communication with the Father. He can speak to us. We can speak to him and we can understand who we are. So if what you're being presented with doesn't include that, then it's not right. It may be almost right, but it's not right. Okay, the second foundational principle, first was identity, the gospel. The gospel. I love how sneaky John is. He just works in the gospel right here. Okay, 1 John 4, 9 through 15. Or, uh, yeah, and it says seven right there, but it's nine. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he lives in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and we now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. What this means, this is the gospel message. It's the core that all of our faith relies upon. It's the foundation that everything rests on. God created us and loves us, but we, people, allowed sin to enter into the world. What does sin do? Sin separates us from God. Sin breaks relationship and gets us going our own way instead of being in relationship with him and going the way he wants us to go. Jesus came to earth and died for all of our sins, and with him, all sin was buried. All that ever was, all that ever would be. And it's consequence of eternal broken relationship, eternal separation. It died too. And then Jesus was resurrected and gave us the opportunity to be in relationship with God forever. That's what this is. Anyone who receives Jesus as Lord becomes a child of God by adoption. And our relationship with God is restored for eternity. And as Spurgeon would point out, if what you're being presented with doesn't include that, it could be almost right, but it's not right. It's not right. Don't build a house on it. Don't build a house on it. The third foundational principle is love. This is verses 16 through 20. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his love because we know in his love, everything is forgiven. We're not punished for anything. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but then he hates his fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. A couple of really quick things here. Verse 17, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. There's another version, the NIV says that, uh, says that, um, that our love is perfected and brought to completion, or God's love is brought to completion as we love others, right? So we receive God's love and that's wonderful for us, but it doesn't change anything out there yet until we express the love of God. And then God's love is brought full circle because it comes to us and it comes through us into other people and brings, him to clo- uh, brings them to closer relationship with him. And it's a beautiful thing. But it says here, this uh, such love, wait, uh, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Now, John's talking about Love, and there's a lot of different ways you can define love. A lot of ways love is defined in our world. But what he's talking about here is selflessness and sacrifice. Love is not about what you receive. Love is about what you give. And there is, as Jennifer pointed out, our, our, our world has a lot of what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? It's about me. It's about what, what's happening to me. It's about who's admiring me. It's about who's liking me. Uh, it's about all of my stuff. And if I can just get all of my stuff straight, then I can have, finally have some capacity to do something for other people. But when John says, we are like Jesus in this life, I don't see Jesus wondering how many likes he can get. I don't see Jesus posting only certain things so that he'll look a certain way. I see Jesus giving of himself, sacrificially, giving everything, being selfless, not being concerned about what can I get, but Father, what can I give so that they can know you? So when he's talking about love through this whole section right here, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about selfless and sacrificial love. And that is so hard for us to do. But what this means is that God is the the source. He's the prime example of love. And at the heart of God's love is selflessness and sacrifice. Hmm. If it lacks those two essential ingredients, it isn't really love. And unfortunately, so many things that humans come up with that we try to pass off as love don't have those two ingredients, right? But God has called us to be different. He's transforming us from the inside by his Holy Spirit so that we don't have to work up our idea of love. 
we just let go of everything we think we should be doing and we allow him to have his way. And in that, his perfect love can be expressed through us. So to be like Jesus in this earth, which is what John is saying, it includes a couple of really important things. Sacrificing for others, even people who you don't think deserve it, because honestly, we don't deserve it either, right? Even, even people who aren't willing to receive it. Jesus ministered to a lot of people who said, get away from me. That didn't stop him from saying, hey, I've got something important that I can share with you if you're willing to receive it. So we sacrifice for others. What else did Jesus do? He pointed people to the Father. Pointed people to the Father. He didn't point them to himself. He didn't point them to some other ministry that could really meet all their needs. He didn't point them to some institution that they could base a life philosophy on. He said, you know, if you really want the answer, I just want to point the way to my Father. When people tried to give him praise, no one's ever spoken like you before. He said, I'm only saying what my father said. He wasn't going to take all the credit. He was going to point people to the father. And if we live like Jesus on this earth, that's what we're doing. We're pointing people to the father. What else did Jesus do? He served others. He shared the truth. So once again, if what you're presented with doesn't match that, then it might be almost right, but it's not right and you can't build a house on it. So John's been encouraging us to focus on basics and to grow in our knowledge of these core principles, to grow in our confidence in these principles because if, if we're not confident that God is who he says he is and he's made us to be who he says we are, then we can't walk on this. We can't build on something we don't trust, Right? And so John has been reminding us again and again and again, let's get back to basics. Let's dial away all of the other stuff that we've added on to the core principles, and let's just, let's just focus on the basics that Jesus said. And if we can do that, we can build a foundation that we can build a beautiful home on, a beautiful spiritual life that will stand. So, uh, act, Harmony, can I get you and the team to come up? Uh, some practical steps that we can take to do that. So these basic principles are very simple. Your identity, the gospel message, loving God and loving others. They're simple, but they're not easy, right? But I'm going to share really quickly uh, some practical steps that are simple and actually they're easy <laughs> to get us moving forward, right? So some practical steps that we can, we can incorporate more and more into our lives. And I'm going to share them and you're going to think, yeah, duh, good, because it should be simple, simple enough that even I can do it, right? So practical steps that we can take to ground ourselves in these spiritual principles, keep ourselves safe from deception, from going astray, from that antichrist spirit, really simple stuff. Read and study your Bible. Not just, you know, the little devotional scripture in the morning, that, oh, that's good, I'm going to post that later. Not that. That's fine too, but I'm talking about opening up the Bible and saying, Lord, what do you want to show me in what I'm reading today? And then just read and study. Find some commentaries. Talk about it with other people who you're walking with, right? Actually diving into the Word of God. Second thing, pray. <laughs> Once again, you're like, uh, yeah, but if we were better at this, we wouldn't get so hung up on dumb stuff. So, read the Word. 
study it. Second is pray. And by pray, I don't mean just asking for stuff. That's a part of prayer. But prayer is spending time with God. Spending time with God. It's relationship building. It's, God, I'm going to walk with you today. I just want to talk with you. And I want to listen to hear what you have to say to me. Speak to me. Let me speak to you. Whatever relationship with you. The third thing, gather together with other people. Not just here in this room, because right now, like, you're listening to me, but you're not getting to say anything. Sorry about that. But getting one step beyond Sundays, two steps beyond Sundays, we can talk about these things that we're wanting to grow in together. We can learn from one another. Iron can sharpen iron. We can hone each other into, like, effective instruments of God that can, that can follow Him well, that can help others to build on that foundation. So when I'm talking about gathering together with other believers, I, I am talking about church services, but I'm talking about small groups. I'm talking about, <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, he's talking about small groups. Uh, talking about small groups. I'm talking about beyond your small group, finding somebody who you can go have coffee with. Finding somebody who you can go on a walk with. Finding somebody who you can call up in time of trouble. Or who you can ask a spiritual question about. And you can sit down and talk about it with them. That's important. God never intended for us to go through this alone. Right? So what John is asking us to do is to get back to these basics. To get back to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus to really get back to our identity. Who are you saying I am, God? To get back to the gospel message, Jesus, really make it, make it clear and resonant for me what you've done for me and what that means for me so that I can share it with somebody else. And then love. Not give me what I want, but how can I be more like you, Jesus? How can I be more selfless? How can I be more sacrificial? Not how much love can I receive, but how much love can I give? and express. And what does that mean for the world around me? These are the foundational things that John is asking us to embrace again. 